All right. Hey, everybody. So a little pre-show addendum or uh, warning for this episode. So I had gone up to visit my buddy Jake Weissman, who this interview is with, and basically had a nightmare of audio proportions. So I had two microphones. I had raged a special system to record the two microphones. And on the way, my microphone must have gotten banged or somehow knocked around to the point where my mic was recording at an incredibly high input volume. I could not get it to tone down until about halfway through. And even then, it still just wasn't perfect. So what I've ended up doing is through a labor of love, because I I really love you guys. I love Jake, and I want to make sure this interview does air. I have Frankenstein together, because my creature shall live. By Frankenstein together, this episode trying to use as much original audio as I could, and also re-recording verbatim, mind you, having painstakingly gone through, listened, and taken down via notes every single thing I said in my conversation with Jake, because I think it's very important to to maintain authenticity there. I don't want to be re-recording things and rephrasing my own statements. That's not fair to Jake. That's not fair to you guys. So I literally wrote down everything I said, And what you hear is what I said verbatim. So I pieced this interview back together. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it and uh, and get a kick out of it. And I will say, I'm pretty proud of this. Pretty proud of my delivery on a lot of these lines because of this unholy acting talent that I do possess. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. Please do check out Corporate with Jake Weissman. And here we go. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Oh yeah, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, everybody. This is Brian McWilliams, host of this fantastic program, which is number 54, meaning you can find all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash five four. So I'm very proud today to welcome in a guy I've known for about five or six years now. I met him when I was doing stand-up comedy. Of course, he's far more experienced in the stand-up realm than I am and also happens to boast a new Comedy Central show, which is called Corporate. One Mr. Jake Weissman. What's up, buddy? Hey, buddy. I'm happy to be here. And I appreciate, even though I am not necessarily a proud libertarian, I'm just a weird person, probably an independent. Thank you for allowing my kind on. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, every now and then we like to slum it and swim in the progressive waters. So, yeah, I wanted to welcome Jake in because he's got this new show, Corporate, and he promised me the libertarians were going to like it. Yeah, I feel like um, I'm probably swing more left than you do, um, but I do believe comedy should be libertarian. I think the best comedy is libertarian, and uh, I think this show definitely fits the bill. It's about corporations and working at a corporation, but also just sort of the jokes and everything are very dark and very honest, and I definitely think that um, libertarians will not think that we're being progressive in an annoying way. No, I think I agree, we're de- we're definitely hitting hard. Yeah, agreed. There was a suicide joke, I believe, in episode number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's an attempted suicide in episode one, so I think people will like it. Yeah, so from watching it, I was a little skeptical going in, knowing you, but I said, okay, uh, let's see, but I know the way you do swing. But, I mean, really, the humor nails it. Uh, you nail about libertarian humor being central to things we were talking about earlier. Uh, you can't have thought control. You can't have people be overly conscious about what is or is not funny 
when it comes to comedy. You know, comedy is there to challenge what is going on in the world, and it's essentially the mirror to hold up to the state of affairs. And I had mentioned this a little bit in the preamble before the show when you and I were just talking, but before we get deep into corporate, I wanted to ask you about what do you think about the state of comedy right now, especially in the post-Trump era, or I guess the current Trump era, uh, I guess, as it regards to how people view comedy. Has it become too easy? Uh, has it become too hard? Because in the culture, everyone is on watch. I mean, in corporate in the first episode, it's based around a tweet and this hurricane, and the outrage over the tweet is more than the outrage over the hurricane. So is the culture now a danger to comedy? You know, I tend to look at any any current state of anything as an economic opportunity. So I tend to not look at anything as dangerous. Um, I don't think that we're being policed too hard uh, ever. I, I kind of think in America, we're very lucky to pretty much be able to say whatever we want, whenever we want to. And obviously there are people getting in trouble for jokes and things like that. But in general, I try to look at the current state of things and be like, okay, even with PC culture, which I don't have as much problem with as, as I think you do, the reason why I don't have a problem with it is I go, okay, so I'm getting information right now about what people have a problem with. So I'm going to use that and work around it. Or if I want, if I didn't give a fuck, I could just be the person who sells a type of humor that's like, fuck PC. I don't do that. And I don't think I'm that PC a person. I think you would. Uh, agree with that. But I think I always look at what are people saying? What is the void that's missing? And then fill that void. So I, I kind of think people who are too obsessed with being um, censored are basically just that's their angle. They're being like, I'm being censored, and they're selling that. They're being oppressed. So I tend to look at everything in sort of, it's this ebb and flow, and we do live in a relatively good country in terms of freedom, and I feel like there's always something to fill, and if you're smart enough, um, you can figure out what that is. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And I, you mentioned that we do live in a country that's very free, and I always think about that when people want to drill down into the issues that Americans face, uh, this or that. And I always go, well, compared to the other 95% of the world, everyone is very well off. Even the worst of us are well off comparatively. I mean, especially where I'm coming from. I mean, I do feel very lucky. I mean, regardless of, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've had many conversations about just like uh, my sexual orientation or your sexual orientation, your your race. And let's say that um, I, I do think I'm a relatively privileged person. I think I've had it easier than most people. If people are like, well, you can't say certain things, there's still so many things I can say. Yeah. And I feel completely lucky and do not feel oppressed at all. And anytime I felt oppressed, I'm just like, oh, but that's probably how everyone else feels. And I feel totally fine about it. And I kind of think it's funny. And even when I'm oppressed, I can then joke about being oppressed. Like, I just think it's a matter of the smartest people with humor always are self-aware enough to find the angle they need to find. There's always an angle. There's always no way to joke about it. And people who complain too much are just filling an angle. Yeah, definitely. Um, here's a question for you then. In regards to comedy and Trump now, since he's come into office, just mentioning Trump is like a punchline that warrants a laugh. And I see these comedians that I respect or I formerly respected basically just selling into this Trump hysteria. So what do you think? I would agree with that. I mean, what was very interesting about the switch from Obama to Trump 
was Obama was just so much harder to make fun of because he's a smart guy and he's he wasn't white it was the first of that kind and it, of like like of a non-white person being president so i think people were kind of confused how to make fun of him you could I mean, he was an incredibly gifted speaker I mean, he's a brilliant man fault in, in a lot oh. of his, I mean, you could find fault in some of his actions like for me you know the the continuing of the war state for me is a big one well for sure he dropped drones but still it was like an awkward kind you couldn't make fun of him you really couldn't i mean you could but it wasn't as fun whereas trump is such a psychotic change and is so blunt in how fucked up he is that every easy punchline is gone and just feels like pandering so in my i mean i don't what's also interesting about trump is that he is sort of funny like he's not intentionally funny but he's being funny because he's so rude and horrible he's disrupting polite society and so that is kind of a very interesting thing for comedians to deal with and i in my belief it's good for comedy because even though there's a lot of pandering bullshit we're going to it's going to be the mother of a necessary invention of how to be more creative with comedy when you have someone who's so obviously fucked up and so obviously horrible and psycho it's like well i gotta be pretty genius in order to make fun of this in an original way which i always appreciate exactly i agree with you there because it's like it's going to force people out to step their game up a lot more because yeah you can't just it's it's like making fun of uh you know abbott and costello routine if they were the presidency because you know they're already slapstick right and it's a very interesting time yeah and i don't like i had that sort of hack response that like oh the daily show is going to have it so easy but that's not really what i think is the easy because then they've really just been doing what's obviously wrong with him and someone has to point that out but I almost think that humor now has to go to much more surreal territories or just in general sociological territories that kind of haven't been punctured yet because we're living in the craziest Black Mirror episode ever. So it's just like, wow, like I I feel challenged. And one thing that I think will have to happen with comedy is you're going to have to make more timeless comedy because what's happening right now is kind of making you think about just the world as it is forever. Like, what are we doing if he's the president? It's really fascinating. Yeah, most definitely, man. I I like the concept of timeless comedy. Um, You know, it's like in my own writing, you know, I do my own writing and obviously you're a writer uh, as well. But I always think about this with my writing partner when I'm working on uh, this feature screenplay that I was telling you about earlier a little bit. It's so easy to put in a pop culture joke or a joke that you know will be relevant for the next six months. Instead of saying, okay, what's the deeper issue uh, or joke that's going to carry on and resonate for longer than just here and gone? You know, I don't want this to be the epic movie, like all those terrible films they roll out, just making fun of pop culture. It's such a mistake, mainly because if you work in Hollywood, you know that anything you're writing won't get produced for five years. So it's going to be rewritten and punched up. You're just going to make someone else rich when they have to punch up the script when it actually gets made. Um, and I think that's obviously Twitter is, you know, for the moment. So make any joke you want. But I think this is, I mean, be, Donald Trump being president is an amazing thing, not in the positive connotation of the world, but just because I didn't know that could happen. Like, I truly didn't, which is my naivete, I guess. But 
it's like, whoa, well, if that can happen, then really anything can happen. And it's sort of my job to be ahead of the curve now um, with every joke and just sort of going to deeper truths. And obviously it's a nightmare. But the other thing, Brian, is like we live in California and we're not really affected by it. We're very lucky to live in a place where it's like this isn't going to hurt us. Like the fires are going to hurt us before Trump does. Yeah. I'm sure everybody already knows, but uh, massive fires have burned down like half of L.A., and of course, talking about the easy jokes, every comedian went to Twitter and said the world is literally and figuratively on fire with Donald Trump. And of course, we all collectively rolled our eyes. So one quick thing about Trump and then we can talk about we'll Trump into, forever uh, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No shit. Um, so the thing I want to talk to you about a little bit, and I and I don't think you have from talking to you, but have you bought into what people are calling the Trump derangement syndrome? Uh, which is like a thing I think I think Scott Adams actually coined it. Um, like for me, it seems like no matter what he does or what happens, people are like, "This is going to be the end of the world as we know it," and they jump to these insane conclusions about anything. Like for me, I'm really enjoying the Trump era. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I mean, he is literally troll in chief. The guy gets such a reaction from everything he does, and for me, from a libertarian standpoint, I look at him, and yep, you know, tax cuts are good. He hasn't made the war state worse. And we were just reevaluating uh, what he did on a recent podcast, like what he did, what he didn't do in the past year. I mean, look, deregulation, I like. Tax cuts, I like. He hasn't made the war state worse. Uh, he hasn't made it better. But And, of course, we get north, north by, nuked by North Korea tomorrow. But people just can't look at what he's done because they hate him so much as a person. It's hard to separate the emotional from well, the actual reality. Well, not only that, but I – the the – evil genius thing he has done is make me doubt every single news article. I mean, he hasn't done that, but I don't know where news is coming from now where it's like, how biased is this stuff? I don't really know what I'm reading anymore. So I actually don't know what he's doing. I mean, the scary thing is, is he is crazy. So he could do something and, and it does seem him being insulted could lead to a war. Like, just like, like any sort of quip about him, he is that crazy. But I also tend to think that people have been saying the world was over forever. So every, every four years, like, oh my God, this is really the end. And maybe it is, but it seems almost impossible that's true. The, the, we keep going on through all sorts of crazy things. We're not even in a world war right now. And that would probably happen first. So it feels like we'll just get through this. This will be a super weird X that we have, and it'll be an interesting time. I mean, I don't know how I feel about tax cuts and deregulation in general. I, I think I'm more on the liberal side of it where I'm more in favor, but I also don't, I guess more how I feel is, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Which is, I feel which is an admirable position to have because yeah. everybody now likes to jump to conclusions like, uh, this is what's going to happen. And I know it's like, nobody knows anything. Well, especially because no one thought, I mean, people did think, but I didn't think Trump would get elected. I was sure he wouldn't be. So once he got elected, what bothers me is like, no one knew that was coming except for the people who knew it was coming, but very few vocal people knew it was coming. And so once that happened, everyone seemed as sure of their next opinions as they were of the opinion that Hillary would definitely be president. And I was one of those people. I was like, of course, Hillary would be president. There's no question about it. So now I just feel like I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think he's necessarily right, but almost anything could happen. And for me to postulate what that would be is silly. I, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think we'll always 
recover and it'll always be fucked up. And I, to me, what it really has done, Brian, is just sort of go, I got to watch out for myself and I got to watch out for my cats and I got to watch out for the few people I care about because it's a, it's really strange. And I don't know actually what's happening. I don't, it, it seems like what he's doing kind of benefits me. And so I'm just sort of like kind of confused and waiting and seeing. And I don't, I don't really think I understand politics as much as I did. I think that's what Trump taught me. Is like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I also think one of the big benefits we're seeing, uh, well, number one, I totally agree. Exposing what we're imbibing as news is under question. Not only from the institutions, but who's leaking information when. And what we're seeing and like what I'm really interested in seeing in this Trump era is that we're seeing what people refer to as the deep state. And this was conspiracy theory talk for a long time. You know, oh, the deep state. What are you talking about? It exists and it is powerful. I mean, you see these bureaucrats in there, uh, the FBI, the CIA, all these other institutions that aren't elected, and they stay in their power forever. And you see them working behind the scenes against a sitting president, I mean, the top elected official, like him or don't. You see all these things coming out, all these reports leaking. Uh, you see Peter Strzok or Strzok or whatever his name is. Uh, FBI working against an elected president and he shows you how crazy biased it is. I mean, we don't really understand how the power structures really work in government. We think we do, but we don't. Oh, we definitely don't. I mean, so I'll sort of talk a little more generally now. So I grew up um, in the Northeast uh, in a pretty liberal area and my sister is gay. So she's had a part since I was born. She's a half sister. So I grew up very liberal because I always saw conservatives as against that. Not all conservatives are, but um, I always felt like, well, socially – um, you got to be left because that is so crazy to not let people be what they are. It's just a very offensive thing and just one of the dumbest things ever to not. So I always grew up that way. So I never really gave credence to any right wing policies because I was I knew that social policies were more important to me. But as I grow older, I kind of realize I just never le- like I don't think because I was so left socially I never really learned about right wing fiscal policies and there's obviously a lot of people think it's right and I realize I don't really know what I believe anymore so I just feel kind of like I don't think I know anything about politics anymore and I just feel like I'm going to observe this and try to make money writing comedy about it because I don't I don't know what else to do like I'm just sort of like I just feel I'm like what are we even talking about he Trump has brought the daily discussion to such an insane degree every day that comedians are now commenting on tax policy. And there's they don't even know how to get their rent done. So I'm just like, what is happening? Like, I don't – I just sort of eat a sandwich and watch Twitter. And, like, to me, I don't actually know what's happening in the world. And I feel lucky to not be that directly affected by it because it is, I am learning an infinite amount about what I don't know. Well, you know, I was just listening to the former CEO of NPR – and I don't know if you ever listened to the Rubin Report, uh, but the former CEO of NPR was on there, and he has a new book about quote you know leaving the bubble uh, unquote as he called it, but um, you know engaging with people on the right to get that other point of view because as you said, people especially I think coming from the left and uh, growing up I was more on the left than the right, but coming to libertarianism and found a happy medium for me. Uh, but because there's such an emotional connection with social values. And like you said, your sister is gay, my uncle's gay, uh, my cousin's gay, so a lot of gay people in my family as well. But growing up with them, you value the relationships 
and you don't want anything to hurt those people. So anything you consider counter, like conservatives because they're religious and they might not be for gay rights, you immediately block them out and say, these people are wrong and evil. So this demonization is, I think, such an issue with society right now where you can't even talk to people. It's just a shouting match because people just discount each other immediately. Meanwhile, uh, your take, I know what I don't know. And now you're looking at the more fiscal aspects of it. Like, I love that. It's awesome to hear. And I, I hope more people take that away when they're looking at Trump right now. What I always found so interesting about libertarianism, and I don't, obviously, I'm a novice here. So what I always found about libertarianism was that I guess it's hard to argue against it. But it does <laughs> feel... find a way. Well, but I mean is, I, I think that it's almost ideal. It just seems like impossible to achieve and what what, what's and i don't know why because ideally as i understand libertarianism eventually let's go hundreds of years from now it really would do a very good job of evening things out because if you let people do what they want to do which is crazy to not let people do what they want to do because the things that are keeping people down from what they want to do socially is just the bullshit of religion. It's just like so insane. These structures that were made to uh, correct people so many years ago have stuck around and they're so stuck in nonsense and they're hurting people. And they're it, it's kind of an abuse to bring people up religiously and it's fucking up their um, political beliefs. I would say uh, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, religion for me, and, and I'm not religious at all, I'm an atheist, but I can see it, uh, it had its place. It needed to it correct people. It created to find order out of chaos. But at the same time, religions also, of course, were basically systems of government in a certain way, shape, or form. You're telling people, here are the rules, if you violate those rules, you go to hell. But you're also making money on a grand scale. <laughs> you saw that, you know, you saw the pay for play. What's that famous line? Uh, when coin and coffer rings, a skull from a soul from purgatory springs, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And also just, I mean, the values it has are pretty outdated. I mean, just sort of the purity of women. And it's just like, what are we talking about here? But I understand why it exists, but I just, I don't really know. It just seems like what I always find interesting about religion is like, if you're going, if you're right wing because you grew up very religious, it doesn't really make any sense. Like, because to me, like Jesus, I don't think would be a conservative person. I mean, he would because he doesn't want abortion, but also he would forgive that person and then he would want to give the money to the poor. So there's a sort of like, it doesn't make really any sense how you could be conservative, but it seems to be be that way. I guess here's my bigger point. There are so many people that are so religious and that governs how they vote that I guess I just don't under, I don't really even feel American. I feel very confused about what the country is. And I've, I spent four years in the South and I spent time around people that are very different from me, but I kind of like, what I'm realizing is my idea of what America is, is New York and LA. And so like, and I feel like correct about that, but I also only feel correct about that because I'm around the same people, and that's obvious. So I just feel sort of like I, I feel like libertarianism would work, but it's not going to. Even though it feels like a compromise, and compromise is what you have to achieve if you have 50 independent states. You can't have one way or the other, which was my main problem with Bernie Sanders. Why I was pro Hillary, even though I know she was the continuation of yeah, the weird sort of Bush, establishment. Bush I kind of liked it because I'm like, listen, we live in an imperialist state. Let's just enjoy it. You know what I mean? It's a horrible place. We're bombing other countries, but we're in it. You enjoy the fruits of it. I'm not a good person. No one 
that is. And so I was fine continuing the evil of the center left. Um, but now I just feel sort of like I'm wafting in this place where I'm like, guys, shouldn't we all, can't we all just agree on this thing that would be fine with everyone, which would be libertarianism, but it doesn't feel like that could ever be achieved. Do you think it ever could? Uh, see, I think it can. And it all comes down to where we are as a culture. It might have been impossible in the past because of such an emphasis on religion and the moral values of don't do drugs, don't do this, don't do that, where libertarianism is very much about the individual and individual rights. If you want to do something, as long as it's not affecting someone else uh, and their life directly to their detriment, go ahead do, and do what, it. What role do you think kindness plays in libertarianism? Because well, the there's a cold aspect to libertarianism. Well, here's the thing, and it's interesting you bring that up because I was – uh, literally just going to bring this up a little bit later to you. Uh, I think a lot of the issues that come up between people that are progressives and libertarians is that libertarians are accused of being cold or being uncaring. And I was just having this conversation with a family member over Thanksgiving who was very progressive. And basically I told him it's not that libertarians don't care. It's that we believe very much that the view that if you allow people to live their lives and you get out of the way and let free markets take the place of these government institutions that care for people under a more progressive vision of society. Um, so we want to take care of these people, but it's it's not that we're cold or we don't care. It's that we believe there's a better way to do it. And that better way comes through the free market with lower prices and competition or through charity rather than through coercively saying, you are all going to pay for this, and then we're going to do it in the least effective, effective fashion possible. No, and I understand that. I think that's the ideal of libertarianism. I think in practice it gets weirder, and I think it gets a little more aggressive, and I think you would agree with that. I will agree that uh, libertarianism has a uh, strange way of attracting – I guess people would say it's like the autistic – version of uh, of people's politics in a way like, it's, it's like the rules the rules right, you know yeah, come on you know yeah. and, and that's and, and i understand that completely well I this is an lot. interesting thing because i what's interesting about libertarianism is is that as opposed to lib- liberalism where i fall more aligned with liberalism is i think my liberalism is sort of based on the fact that people are bad. And so I think they need to be corrected. Now, there is a problem with correction. I totally agree with that. I guess I feel like my instinct is people are awful and horrible. We're feral. And so we need rules in place to make people stop being bad or be a little better. And I know that's a problematic, but that's sort of where I fall. See, and that's what, from a libertarian standpoint, that's my biggest issue. Uh, when I look at the left, I know your heart's in the right place, and I, I say you, not the as Jews. you, but in the royal. <laughs> yes, all the Jews. All the stinking heaves. <laughs> so, no, no. I know people's hearts are in the right place, and they want to help people, and they think people need to be molded and controlled for their own good, but that's where I don't think that it's fair to do that, and it's just so misguided in so many ways. Like, y- when you see so many programs that have been put into place to help people that end up hurting. Or you see people's opinions change, and we find out what we thought then is completely backwards and wrong. Meanwhile, we're supporting this government force that we use and we put into place. I know. You know, I, the road to hell is paved with the best intentions, and that's what. Yeah, it's what's weird. I think about this about this debate because I, I do understand what you're saying. I mean, I've always thought libertarianism is hard to argue against, but my argument against it has always been a lot of the people who are libertarians. I, it's like it's it's, and not all of them. I mean, I I mean, we get along, and like I agree with you, like. I do kind of agree with you. I just feel like 
there's just a lot of libertarians that seem to be angry white men and and like like I, and I'm kind of an angry white man but there's a re- there's something that's being attracted there that worries me a little bit and and I don't know I can't explain it but it's a little bit it's almost a little too group thinky for me to trust See, but that's funny because it's uh, the whole philosophy is based on individual I know and 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 by the way I do want to say you might be also because the so many people on the left have wrote articles saying that libertarianism a path is a pathway to alt-rightism and nazism and, and granted there's a prominent libertarian or was that was involved with this movement in the, and the march in north carolina who you know it's it's the problem with libertarianism is one thing goes wrong and people jump to of course that as the black eye for all of libertarianism well, i think one of the issues with libertarianism is not necessarily the this the belief system it's that it attracts a certain type of person that's more about wanting to be heard that they're right than actually caring about the system being correct and that's Again, that's sort of any system. And I think one of the issues with with any sort of like economic system is that it's never going to be that great. Like we have too many moving parts, too many individuals. Democracy is a beautiful thing and a nightmare. Like, of, of course, you want everyone to have a voice. But the actuality of that is you get tinnitus. So it's sort of like it's like a complicated thing where I can't figure out if we should just be creating a system like liberalism that's just sort of constantly putting chewing gum over the the you know the bubbles that are coming through the wall or um or we should change the whole system because i i get too nervous to change the system i just don't believe it. i think it'll just lead to more problems yeah and that's a legitimate fear people always wonder well the classic cliche of libertarianism is who will build the roads it always comes up because people can't imagine any way to do it. It's been that way for such a long time. And they don't trust that there will be a way to do that, even though, as we've seen through history, there is always a way. And the market will always provide an answer for that. And it won't be the worst case scenario that people are constantly jumping to. When I agree up. with you. I mean, it's complicated. And the truth is, nobody really knows what will happen. Um, and I think I, America is just also a weird experiment. I mean, it's like the, it's, it's a wonderful idealistic experiment. Everyone can live here in harmony where we actually are very tribal. And like it like, of course, people are going to help the people that look like them or act like them. Right. Of course, the they're that, going the way, to. I hate it when people pretend, they try to pretend that people don't have a that. And it's it's a natural thing. You human beings typically look to somebody that looks like them and they associate with those people as a first go-to because it's nature. It's and and it is of course it's nature and also even more than nature it's like if I have if I'm in charge of a business like I'll just choose someone that I grew up with because right, yeah. I know them and can or trust them. That you like you like them you trust them which yeah. means they probably you know they probably agree with you socially or uh, for, for sure or even if they well, don't you can trust them because you know them and I'm paranoid in general but the thing is because this country you know when we uh, fucked up the Native Americans uh, it's pretty white and so yeah. there is that issue where it's like. I, I don't know how you feel about affirmative action. I'm, cur- I'm curious to hear what you think, but I do think there is something there where it's like a libertarian system is great, but there is this other issue that our specific country has with our history that I do think needs some correcting. And I don't think the free market will necessarily correct it because we're pretty fucking racist. And like, there's a, there's sort of inherent racism to everything, but it is a problem. It does, it does upset me well i think that number one everybody everybody is racist in one shape or form 
It's funny. There's one line in corporate in one of the episodes, and uh, we'll talk about this more after the break, which is coming a little bit when we'll talk explicitly about corporate. But there's the one joke you guys have where you're reporting coworkers with this HR app on your phones, and you're reporting a guy who's over 50 years old and white, and you're like, is he racist? Of course he's racist. He's white and over 50. And then you're like, will we be racist when we're over 50? And you're like, of course we will. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it, look, I consider my guy, myself a guy that I try not to be racist at all. I have friends of all colors. I respect everyone's opinions as much as I can tolerate. <laughs> and I don't really give a shit what color you are. But at the same time, there's no way around that somebody like you're going to have preferences. Those preferences are going to exist. And to pretend that we live in a completely racially harmonic society is ridiculous. You're always going to have something that you like or don't like. And whether that comes from upbringing or a situation that comes up, like I know a kid who didn't have a racist bone in his body. Then he gets mugged like twice by black guys in Philly and Philly. <laughs> and now he's somewhat racist against black people. So <laughs> now this is going to be considered the most racist <laughs> tirade ever. <laughs> but if people... You know, everyone should try not to be racist or maybe maybe don't even try not to be racist. Maybe just be more accepting in general of people in positions. But we can't pretend that there are no preferences that are involved. Yeah, I mean, I think this sort of lends itself to the larger discussion. Sure, it exists. So are we going to pretend it doesn't exist and we're going to try to correct it through laws and whatever? Or are we just going to accept humans for what they are, which really means what they've been up to this point, right? Well, here's a question. So projecting a little what I think you might get into. So, you know, we're talking about affirmative action and forced correction of these types of things. What I wonder is whether it does more harm than good, like looking at segregation of schools, which of course the government has segregated schools before it desegregated. Well, government's always starting some stuff. Up. <laughs> exactly. Um, which goes back to my point where we're fixing stuff the government caused in the first place. But for me, a lot of this you see happen organically other than via forced interaction. And this is where my reliance on the free market comes into play. Because if somebody is, let's take the gay cakes, for example, or the people who refuse to bake the gay cake. You look at the way that works now. So they're going to have terrible word of mouth. It's going to damage the store. Now, some people who are religious are going to support them. But the vast majority of people, especially now, are going to say, okay, well, screw that store. I'm going to go support another shop. So the free market works in the way that their predilection or their preference to not bake that gay cake is going to drive people to their competitors. So that's the free market at work. And just like with race or anything, if there's a sign in the window that says no blacks allowed, I'm not going to go into that store. I'll go somewhere yeah, but else. Some people are going to go into that store. And, and that's their choice. Yeah, but I mean, okay, well, I'm Jewish. So I grew up with sort of the Holocaust being talked about constantly. And like there, listen, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think you can't, in the sense that just in the way a person is taught, you kind of have to let them put their finger in the socket a little bit and get electrocuted. Like, that's how I learn is like, oops. But I also do think that I, that's where I think it's interesting. Governing morality, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, I think what you're saying is you kind of can't. And you have to let people just sort of figure on their own. But I do think that, like, I don't know. I think, like, they're like in Germany, if you say something bad about Jews, you get basically get put in jail. Well, yeah. And did you see that? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to. No, 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 go for it. So, yeah, sorry. So you, you see that comedian 
who he taught his girlfriend's dog. I think it was like a Scottish comedian. But he taught his girlfriend's dog to when he said like, howdy, Zig Hale, the dog like gives a high five Zig Hale sign. And he posted it to YouTube. And then they yeah, went to jail. I, mean, I understand why that sucks. But I also, if I'm being honest, don't care. Because I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I'm sort of like, in, in, the, in the sense, that what I was saying earlier in the podcast about PC culture, it's like, what I see with that is an opportunity to be better than the base level of funny. Now, I, I, cause it's like, you can just like, I think swastikas are funny. Cause it's like, what are we talking about here? It's a bunch of lines. And so I will post them because I'm Jewish, but like, but I do think that like, there's a lot of pain in the world that I don't understand. And I think that telling people to not fucking do that and be a little better is okay. Now, that's just a moral decision I'm making, and I can't necessarily argue that because I do understand the problem with governing morality, and a lot of my favorite satires are all about the the pro- the inherent problem of governing morality because someone who is an immoral or moral creature is governing that morality, and so you can never do it. But I think, again, I do think the world is a sinking ship, and I don't think it's ending now, but it's just constantly sinking or doing it's, – it's like a paddling – like a like – a, like someone who doesn't really know how to swim who's constantly just learning how to swim. That's kind of how it is. And I, I think we're just trying our best all the time because all of us are so dumb and have such a limited experience. But I, I do see your point. But I kind of just feel like my feeling is like, well, you killed a lot of us. You killed a lot of Jews. So fuck you if you ever do anything like that. Yeah, And, you know, that's a completely legitimate response. And I don't think anyone's going to argue. But I see what you're saying because to me also privately people – to me – People can say all the crazy things about Jews they want. I'm Jewish. I don't really care. I know it's a joke, but I can see how it's taken to a fucked up level. I mean, there is a way that someone could see the Zig Hale and be like, yeah, the dog's right. I'm going to kill a Jew. But you're, and, and here's my, one of my problems, though, with free speech and the concept of free speech and, and trying to weigh in or, or, uh, or damage people's ability to speak out. Like the cops are coming for you because yeah, you're in free speech you're in favor of Zig Hell. But you know what I find is that if you once you get to the point where you're trying to actually squash free speech in this way, what happens is that these people now they go, okay, well I can't talk about this in public, and I feel like you radicalize people far more by quashing them and and by saying you can't say that here, you can't do this. Like what we're seeing with all this campus free speech stuff, where the they're protesting and they're stopping people from doing it. So you're driving people that probably have more extreme opinions into the shadows and into the arms of people that are going to radicalize them further. Like, you know, if somebody if you interact with somebody that's a let's say they're they're alt-right and they're Maybe they've got some ideas that ain't so cool. But if you talk to that person and you say, okay, let me, let me talk to you about your ideas. Here's why I feel you're wrong. And you poke holes in their argument logically rather than saying, nope, you can't speak here. Go hang out on the internet with your neo-Nazi storefront buddies that are just going to reinforce your yeah. stupid ideas. That's going to make things worse. Yeah, I see your point, but I do have an like Richard Spencer. Like, like he's a bad person. Like, we can argue about whether like it, but it's like no, I'm not going to argue with him. Like, I don't want to give him any time. He's a bet. He's wrong. He's a wrong piece of shit. I don't don't think you can say that because look at it this way, right? I use example uh, sometimes when I'm talking about this kind of issue. So by saying okay, blanket, this person's wrong. I don't want to talk to him. He's he's wrong. You, you can't definitively say that because at different points in time in history, people's opinions change. Like we're talking about morality and what's right or wrong. He's a white nationalist. That's agreed. He is. But let's look at something like this. Okay. In the times when slavery was still permitted, everybody thought slavery is okay, except a small minority of people. They thought this is okay. The people that think slave, that black people are, that have the same rights as us are dead wrong. If they did not have a chance to speak, would we still have slavery today? 
Well, you see the, now that's an extreme example, but right. you see what I'm saying is that you can't say blanket, you're wrong, so you can't have a choice because you don't know for sure if they're right or wrong. And history might have a very different well, opinion. White nationalism it. is not correct. I agree with you. However, I'm just saying as a concept, we can't blanket say that's wrong, so we have to ignore it. But I think that's naive because I think one of the only points of history is to do our best to use it to correct the future. Right, but you can't correct the future by saying these people are denied their right to free speech. But doctors used to smoke. Because, that, because here's the thing, Jake. If you establish a rule where we, where, we can, where we can say you're not allowed to speak, that rule, while we're saying, okay, today it's white nationalism, but tomorrow we don't know what the power structure might be, and it might be somebody saying, no, you're wrong, you don't get to speak but, on something that you agree with. But the error in what you're saying, in my opinion, is that he's allowed to speak. He does have free speech. I think what's wrong right now is people don't know what free speech is. Free speech, he can go on Twitter. He can say whatever he wants. I don't think he's been banned. He can go out in public and say these things. He's not being put in jail. Um, there are not anti-Nazi laws here. He can say whatever the fuck he wants. If a school doesn't want him to speak there or people are protesting against him, that's free speech. Well, it's, see, that's where I would have an, I, that's where I think we would differ. Cause I view it, it's like the heckler's veto, which is not, which is anti-free speech. Wherein if, if a school wants him to speak there and it's organized, the school's welcoming him, he should be allowed to speak there and not be, how do people shout him down or cause riots that prohibit that speech? That's that's the heckless video. It's not free speech. But see, I think free speech is just you're allowed to say stuff and not necessarily be put in jail for it. To me, that's what free speech means. And I think that there is – see, I think that is the free market. I think the free market is the students protesting and saying, fuck this guy. He's a Nazi. But they don't even know what he's going to say because they're not allowing him to say it. Well, he said a lot of stuff that's pretty bad. And I think that that's the new world we're in is like, you know, you judge people based on what they're doing on the internet or what they're saying. And so I think you're being anti-free speech by not allowing the protesters to do what they want to do. Well, I'm not, look, they can protest, but when you get to the point where you're literally causing violence or you're, you're interrupting the event, like if they want to protest outside, sure. But once you go in and you're actively stopping somebody from speaking at an event by uh, taking over the space you know, by a force, that is anti-free speech. Well, I mean, I wasn't there at any of the Berkeley things. Um, I think there's a lot of weird stuff and a lot of plants on both sides. On, uh, I mean, I, and so I don't, that's another thing. That's exactly what I'm talking about with the news. That situation exactly, like with um, Coulter and Milo and whatever, all those fucking horrible people. Like, I don't know what was actually going on. And that's a time where I kind of feel like we can't necessarily speak to what happened because both sides are reporting whatever the fuck they want to report there i i do feel they're almost like i i kind of feel like ann coulter and milo are doing these things as pr opportunities to say that they're oppressed and i think and so i don't really trust anything and so to me I think free speech is literally just the ability to say something and not be thrown in jail. I don't really give a shit about. And again, Richard Spencer is a Nazi. I I'm not going to be as sort of uh, wildly open-minded in the sense that maybe white nationalism is nationalism is correct. It's not. It's I I think we're comedians, and I think part of what we do is call bullshit. And I I do think that I can make assertions about certain people, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm existing with my free speech being like, no, fuck that guy. I don't fucking care what happens to him. He's a piece of shit. He's saying things that Nazis did and that Nazis said, and I fucking hate Nazis, and they weren't correct. And I don't think in the scope of history you'll ever say they were correct. Now, again... No, I, I think we can agree on that. Right. <laughs> but we, so, so therefore, he's kind of repeating what they're saying, so I'm like, fuck you. And, but I see what you're saying, but I think at a certain point, we do need to try to have some collective morality or... 
we're kind of fucked. And the thing is, with your socially left thinking, you do have that morality. You do believe in that. And I do think you think it's very important. So I don't know. But I see what you're saying. But I also think, I do think the essence of free speech is not being thrown in jail. Like in North Korea, you'd be killed for saying anything contrary to dear leader. So to me, that's no free speech. You can say, you can honestly in Twitter say, kill the president. And the worst that'll happen is Secret Service will be like, why did you do that? You know, I don't know. That's at least how I view it. Yeah, I mean, it's it, well, it's, it comes down a little bit to what's legally uh, coming down on free speech and what's culturally coming down on it. And I can't say that I support the the cultural, uh, you know, we're talking about morality and judgment. Like, like we were saying earlier, culturally saying you can or cannot say these things. You know, it's it's not, you, you still can say them, but I feel that as a culture, we've gone a little bit too far down that road. And... Um, you know, the outrage machine, as we, as you discussed in the first episode of corporate with this tweet, but, but I agree with you. But what I would say is then if you don't care, like, let's say not you, but like second person, you, if you're like, fuck the outrage machine, then make your living off of not being afraid of saying that because there are enough people. Yeah, like Owen Benjamin, uh, if you're familiar with him at all, a mm-hmm. uh, comedian, he basically lost all his college speaking gigs because he had you know, made some, basically he, he was arguing that uh, he said it was child abuse to raise a, a ch- young child as, uh, you know, transgender and have the hormone therapy before they're even, you know, eight years old. So whether or not you agree with that or not, he had lost a lot of his sponsorships. He lost his agent. So he's now made a career essentially as that counter voice and screw it all and yeah so he so basically he said something um which i personally don't agree with and i I don't like him but but he said something and then now he's making his living off look how oppressed i am so he's using that market and so he said something which he knew people wouldn't agree with he's not that dumb it's like it's a pretty fucked up thing to say at least in today's climate whether or not you like you know saying that is going to upset some people right so then now his market is okay i'm basically a libertarian so i i don't have sympathy for these people that are saying stuff that is fucked up even though i get why in history some people will be revealed as correct um i don't think owen will but i do understand what you're saying but But then he it's his job to go figure out how to make money anyway and there are enough people in there's so many fucking millions of people if you're smart enough and you use the free market you can figure that out there i feel we live in a very lucky society i think we almost live in a sort of libertarian society as it is well I would agree with you in a sense, uh, because there is a lot of opportunity. But for me, the government is what I'm primarily concerned about. It's just gotten so massively expansive. And at this point, the government has evolved into controlling people through taxation, uh, through regulation. And I feel that people's opportunities would be so vastly more were the government not there to slow it down or tax it or to regulate it. And, you know, you look at right now, it's all to pay for what? Wars? Well, obviously. My dad always said, he's like, you know, he's like, I have no problem paying taxes if I could choose what it was used for. Yeah, and he's like, I don't fucking like war. You know what I mean? This is insane. So I agree with you because I guess the problem is, in theory, we do need government. Like, we do need people to, like, literally do things for us, you know. Um, And government, like, to me, the theory of government is great. And in practice, obviously, it's a nightmare. It inherently becomes a nightmare. People are fucking insane. And the it power corrupts and blah 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 so i agree with you it it's it's more whether you it's such an interesting i love this debate it's so fascinating because i i want to agree with you with every part of my being but there is something that holds me back a little bit from fully subscribing just because i think you're technically correct but i think we live in a world where technically correct doesn't 
capture the picture. But I see what you're saying, and I think it's possible we could get there. Well, you know what? I, for me, it's just it's it's baby steps. Um, yes. You know, try to migrate it towards a little bit more of a free society, um, and also. For me, it also comes down to, like, I look at the results and, you know, especially when I look at a lot of the government, like, like I was saying, regulation in the welfare state, like for the welfare state for me, I, and this, and this comes back to what we're talking about as far as the vision in libertarians being cold. So for me, I think that the welfare state as it exists actually hurts people more than helps because you've got massive spending going into support, um, increases in food stamps and, uh, and welfare and all these other, all the domestic programs, but the poverty level stays the exact same. So it's clearly not working. Whereas I would rather see people given the opportunity where we say, okay, we're going to eliminate taxes in this zone so people can start up new businesses or we're going to, well, the drug war obviously is also a huge. Do you believe in a graduated income tax? Um, I, for me, cause I think you, I see, that's the part where I really have a problem. I mean, for me, I, I think that the rich are, are overtaxed. Uh, because when you look at the amount of money, it's an insane amount of money that they are taxed. So for me, I prefer probably a, even, I, maybe a flat tax would be my ideal. Yeah, I see. I think that's just... That being said, I wouldn't mind it if people under a certain income level had just paid no tax. Really, I want nobody to pay any taxes. So at a certain point, no taxes, and then above that line, maybe a 10, 15%. I guess my general belief, and I understand how complicated it gets, is that if you don't force the rich to give money to the poor... we're we're never going to get to a system that's actually fair for everyone. I understand the arguments against it, but I do think there is like, I guess we don't have to live amongst the kids that are being born in areas where there's rampant drug use. And so they're not really getting a fair shot because they're not raised in like a good home. And yeah, to some degree, like, is that our responsibility? And whether you want to say yes or no is sort of how you feel politically. You know what I mean? It's like, it sucks. Like these kids have to overcome so much and there's so many reasons for them not to just even graduate high school where for me, of course I was going to graduate high school. Of course I was going to graduate college. There was not even a question about it. I had infinite more opportunities, and that is sort of the free market, and I'm lucky to be the sperm in my suburban parents. See, for me, like looking at the situation, and we should really take a break. So we can talk about <laughs> it's fun, though. It is fun. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like that, so, so for me, I look at these areas, and I look at, like I said, the drug war, uh, and I look at the state of the welfare. So you've got the drug war, which is just destroyed. I mean, it's the worst Black thing America. in the world. Yeah, drug like, war is the dumbest thing that ever it's happened. It's horrible. It's destroyed lives. And you've got these communities which have been ravaged by the drug war. And people go, oh, well, they're getting, you know, th- the arrest rates are so much higher, like as an, as an excuse as to why these, like, these are worse people. But no, the arrest rates are higher because because you have over-policing of these specific areas that are it's typically psycho. downtrodden. Yeah. And then you've got government incentives in place where they basically are like, okay, we're going to provide you this much money while policing you, while cracking down. So you've built this, basically this cage around Well, them, I agree with they, you about... There's no incentive to escape. I mean, I definitely... Well, see, there's certain things we're always going to agree on. Like, like the drug war is came from conservatives and it came from this psycho morality. Well, that's the thing that I agree with you is like, it, it really depends on who the more people are saying what morality is. And so these conservatives are coming from this religious point of view about drugs, which is like, guys, you're wrong. But, and that's who's in charge. And that's what I have a problem with. And of course, since I skew liberal, I'm like, but if liberals, you know, but I get the problem. I see what you're saying. Certain things I'm like, that's insane. And certain things I'm like, no, we need to do that. Um, whereas like, I'm super pro affirmative action. And in an ideal world, we wouldn't need affirmative action, but 
I think we do because we're so skewed against people who have never really had the chance to be in power. But I see what you're saying. It's just, it's just, I'm so happy I live in California. (laughs) That's basically how I feel. Okay. Well, tell you what, let's take a break on that and come back to talk about corporate with Jake Weissman. So more when we come right back after the break, guys. I know many of you are facing major decisions with your healthcare right now, and I want to make sure that you know about an amazing alternative to your standard corporatized health insurance known as Health Excellence Plus. Health Excellence Plus is an incredible program that helps you keep medical costs under control by taking charge of your own healthcare and not leaving all the decisions about what doctors you see, what procedures you need or don't need up to some corporate bureaucrat. Along with providing 24-7 access to medical professionals, tax-deferred health savings accounts, and preventative care, Health Excellence Plus empowers you to finally take control of your health care. To learn more, head on over to lionsofliberty.com health or call the special hotline for Lions of Liberty listeners at 855-290-4447. Be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. All righty. Welcome back, everybody out there. This is Electric Liberty Land, episode 54. Again, you can find the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash five four. We are here with Jake Weissman, co-creator and co-star of Corporate, which airs on Comedy Central January 17th at 10 p.m. But the first four episodes are available right now to stream at cc.com. I wanted to ask Jake. Uh, Jake, so you told me earlier that this is a show that would resonate with libertarians, and I agree with you. But tell me uh, a little bit about where did the show come from and secondary question, why it will appeal to libertarians. Okay. So it comes from, um, I created the show with Matt Ingebretson and Pat Bishop, and I think you, you've met them, done comedy yeah, with know, them. I know Matt. Have I met Pat? Maybe. Sure. He was in my sketch group, Women, which maybe you saw. Okay. But I, anyway, I've seen him then. he directed everything. We all wrote it. And uh, it came from the basic concept of, first of all, corporations have won. So corporations are the new countries. And basically, like, corporations have won. There's no way to beat them now. And that's funny. That's a funny economic thing. It's a funny thing about life. They did it. The second thing is that office comedies are always presented as goofy. It's always like, oh, look how silly it is at work. And it's like, anytime I've spent any time in an office, the only thing I'm thinking about is killing myself. And I I don't, and that's what everyone's thinking about. It's horror. Because what you think about is you're like, I was sperm in my dad's balls. I made it through the miracle of childbirth. I have existed, not died for all these years. And I'm spending my precious life. I'm not going anywhere after death. And I'm spending it in a fucking office sitting in a suit wanting to die and my boss is a piece of shit that I hate. Most of my life is spent okay, here. Well, on that note, you know what? I, so I've got two dogs. Mm-hmm. And I always feel bad because I go to work and I leave them like, oh, these poor dogs are going to be cooped up in my house all day. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm just going to go sit in a fucking office doing even I'm, – I'm living a worse life than exactly. my dogs. By yeah. Far. And the fact that we're all – see, to me, most office comedies are thought of as funny and silly. And to me, the real humor comes from the fact of the existential problem of work and just sort of life and and society. Like uh, agriculture has led us here to where this is the best we've got with life. We used to run in the jungle and like be like much happier. And instead, we have all day to think about how we wasted our lives, how we hate ourselves and how life is a fucking nightmare 
And so much of it is a service society now too. Before, at least if you were a carpenter, you made something. You're like, I worked with my hands. I made this. And at the end of the day, you know, you got something. Most of us with these corporate jobs, you go in, you type on the computer and you're like, I made like, nothing. I helped my life one is nothing. dude in like on the hundredth floor get really rich. <laughs> and I fucking hate myself. I have arthritis in my fingers now from typing. And it, the humor stems from that of sort of like what a nightmare it is to be alive. What a nightmare it is to be an adult and sort of the idea that in america you were promised that you could follow your dreams but the reality of it is your dreams are nothing and they can't happen and even if you achieve your dreams you're unhappy and how everyone is unhappy i know that doesn't sound funny no, but it, it is, it is it, no it's yeah. incredibly funny and it's incredibly true yeah. no matter what you do yeah even if you achieve your dreams you are without a doubt unhappy we're, as a whole jobs are nightmares are unhappy jobs are nightmares but we're but everybody's depressed yeah. all the time especially now with social media and everything everybody's rubbing uh, how great they're in your face so there's never a point you're going to be happy right no of course that. yeah instagram is one giant lie <laughs> kept to oppress you there's a line in the pilot that says we all want to kill ourselves and it's true and that's what the the show's about um in terms of like you are at this job and existentially what does that mean there is sort of everyday office humor as well but i think there's a much bigger philosophical thing at work uh that we tried to put in the show which is like thinking about dying and just sort of the complications of being alive and being a person and how fucking hard it is and kind of how hilarious that is because i've always thought i've always thought in a libertarian way sort of that the funniest shit is the darkest shit and 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 that's to me the crux of humor is like the shit you're not really supposed to talk about is kind of the only shit i want to hear about right well because you know if, if when you make a joke that's so dark and so horrible you know it's like you have to go if you're at the bottom of the pit looking up everything is bright so you got to get down there man you gotta 100%. Get down there make the most horrible joke you can so you're like you know what things can be worse yeah it's kind of like um to me the best comedy can be is cathartic i like silly comedy like i love the movie airplane but i can't yeah it's great but i like silliness but to me the potential catharsis that someone understands your pain is the most beautiful thing you can do with comedy well, let me ask you this have you ever seen a movie called the great white hype wait it had damon wayans in it I have seen that movie, but I haven't seen it for a long time, so I kind of don't remember. I'll just, yeah, spoiler alert, but no one's going to watch this movie anyway. But so this movie, it's it has my favorite moment in any film I've ever watched, and basically, and it plays in exactly what you're talking about. So they build this up. It's this white Irish dude from a neighborhood, and he fought Damon Wayans, who's the current heavyweight champion of the world. No one's ever knocked him out except this one dude when he was an amateur fighter with an overhead right. So they build this guy up. He's the great white hope, you know, taking a play off that. But he gets in there. They're training him up. They build this whole movie like he's the star, right? He's the hero. They get to the final bout where it's Damon Wayans and this white Irish dude. And the Irish guy's boxing. He's getting his ass kicked. But he lands that one overhead right punch, cracks Damon Wayans in the face, and it slows down. The sweat flies off his face. And then you see David Wayans just turn back at him, punch didn't hurt him at all. And he goes, what the fuck? You trying to embarrass me on TV? And then just beats the shit out of the guy. Beautiful. And I was just like, that's amazing. Because yeah. that's, you know, that's life. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the reality. Your dreams mean nothing. You know, you, you build this thing up like it's going to be, you're going to be the hero. Guess what? No. You're not the hero. No. And you're going to die in the ground. And no, you'll be, like, I, I always say now, like, the best I can do with life is to trend on Twitter when I die. Like, that's that's all I'm working for is I want to be just fucking cremated and trend for five minutes before a more famous person dies. That's a good life Remember now. That, guys. So, <laughs> hashtag, <laughs> Yeah, I just think, um, so anyway, that's kind of the basis for the show, but we are sort of like, 
very socially interested in or politically interested. We're trying to make a political show without being overtly political. And we're talking about war. Like it's an office comedy that's about war. So, well, what's great is that you've got you picked the perfect and sorry to interrupt you, but you picked the perfect uh, scenario where it's a you know, it's this global multinational corporation and it plays into how big corporations have gotten, especially these big players, and how many things they're involved with that we don't even know. Like, you know, in the second episode, which I'm sure you're going to talk about in a minute, the, the concept is war. And it's this company that makes, you know, everything under the sun, but they also happen to make bombs. Yeah. Yeah. They're, it's like, it's just another thing they do. And so the, when he, it's like uh, one of the lines is like, great news, there's going to be a war. You know what I mean? And it's like that kind of stuff where it's like Dr. Strangelove-esque. And we're trying to make like a satire about, because honestly, the world is so fucked up and whether you're a liberal libertarian or conservative like you're not happy with what's going on so and none of us are happy with <laughs> crony capitalism no. which is what the second episode yeah, really plays into it is and what's funny about it what i find the funniest and sort of actually relates to our what we were talking about in the first half of the podcast is like there's kind of very little we can do because the corporations have it made i mean they really do and they kind of win no matter what and it's like a really fucked up kind of hilarious thing about being alive right now there's like seven people that are doing great but even they're not happy because they're in competition with each other and 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 like it's it's capitalism is just a very funny system to make fun of because it kind of is the best system but it also is the problem for everything and so it's kind of like i don't really know what else to do and that's kind of what we're making fun of is like well that's the thing is because capitalism matter what is by de facto winners and losers Mm -hmm. so like you said it it is the best system but at the same time you're gonna have people that get the shit end of the state it fucks everyone yeah like we're not all equal and yeah and so we're under this guise of the idea that we're all like theoretically equal but no one acts that way and no one actually thinks that and no one wants to be equal like even if you're a leading sort of like progressive voice you can't you have to be better than people to even be heard and you have to do all this work and make a lot of money so you can be heard and you're not giving away all that money you're still living in a nice house so it's like but you can't you don't have a choice to be that good of a person anymore it's hard i was talking i did this uh a libertarian christmas carol wherein i accidentally called jacob marley Bob Marley through the whole thing. So that's embarrassing. <laughs> but I was high but, but, you know, I, but one of the main points was that I, I made is that, you know, uh, greed, while well, we all like to say greed is terrible, but greed is good and greed enables people to actually I agree. partake in charitable organizations, stuff like that, and, and, and give back more than they do. <laughs> right. You can't create Even if it's just a tax write off. Yeah, 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 it really exactly. does help. Them. It said, yeah. it's, and, and honestly, m- more than the liberal libertarian debate or whatever debate we would have about that, it just, it's too much for us to really wrap our heads around because there's too many variables that I just want to laugh at it. Because to me, that's what corporate's about is like, there's just so much shit going on that's so out of our control. And all I can really do is write a joke about it and let people decide. Because I think, you know, that's truly what I believe about comedy is like, write a truth and let people decide for themselves and let them see something funny, expose a truth and show how miserable we are and show how fuck the system is. And 
I'm not a political act- activist, but if I would be, it would be to create something really good that sort of gives an opinion on stuff, but in a way that you could kind of choose either side. That's my goal, is to just talk, show both sides and let people decide. And if it's good enough, something good will come out of right. it. And that's what I liked about it. Because, you know, going in, I was like, okay, so Jake says it's kind of libertarian stuff. I'm like, all right. So, you know, when I got into it, though, you do a very good job of presenting, here's the situation, here's our jokes about it, but you're not being preachy about no. you, you know you're not you're not taking a side in it you're just presenting it and none of us you're making jokes but you're you're presenting and saying this is a this is a, a funny scenario here's what's going on and um yeah but you're not you're not pushing an agenda i think it's it's you know oh, i always love south park and so i think it it's sort of close to that i mean obviously they're kings i'm not trying to compare myself to anything trey parker and matt Stone do but in what they do is they're showing how annoying both sides are, and they kind of let you decide what you believe. So both sides are wrong because people are wrong and people are dumb and annoying. So like show why bo- show why corporations are horrible and show why citizens are as horrible and and why and, and just show sort of what got us there and then laugh at both of it because that's all you can really do. Yeah. Well, I also I like also that it's funny to me. It's it's always funny to me. And this is you know when I in my own stand up comedy I have a lot of jokes looking at things. You say okay, you, everybody thinks this is horrible, but you know what if you were the guy on the other side of the aisle? You know, in the in the second episode about uh, them trying to win this war contract, they have to create a PowerPoint. And it's a lot of the episodes based around this making this incredibly uh, artistic PowerPoint and using bullets for bullets and just yeah. And it's just so funny to think about the concept of this everyday working schlub who is creating a PowerPoint in order to help aid a war, yeah. create a war by and, the government. And he's just trying to pay rent. Right, yeah. He just has a job. He's literally just using PowerPoint skills, and his job is create a PowerPoint about war. You know what I mean? Like, And it's like, yeah, what do you do? Do you quit? Because if you quit, you might have to go move in with your parents. You know what I mean? And so it's just, it's. I just think it's fucking hilarious, and I, I think the funniest thing about life is you're constantly faced with all these moral decisions, and to be honest, you don't know what to do most of the time. You're like, I don't know. Like, I, I have no idea what to do, and I feel lucky that I don't have to choose i can just show how hard it is to be alive through comedy yeah well you know it's like i wonder too how many people like you said your options are to go home live with your parents how many people every day are doing things at work where they just go i don't agree with this but you know what i'm just gonna do it whatever i mean i do public relations for a living of course i can't say that all of my uh, no. clients i've agreed with I, yeah. by someone that have done um things that are not morally uh, just i would argue but hey i gotta pay rent uh, no, and it's it's pretty fascinating. I mean, I think I think you know one of the best parts about life, no matter how awful or good it is, is that it's consistently interesting, even in its in its banality. It's like I'm alive for like probably not that much longer. What am I doing? Am I making a good hashtag RIPJ like, <laughs> Yeah, please and please, guys, fucking help me trend. Um, but yeah, I I just. Uh, there's just I think so many comedies are just about like look at this funny situation where I think. What we're trying to do is like, look at what life is. This is what we've decided life is right now. And um, it's certainly not great, but also it's what it is. So it's fine. You know, and I think like, I I just think that um, by being alive, you're forced into a philosophical situation, which you didn't choose for yourself. And I think that anyone's sort of 
the illusion of the choices they're making through it are fascinating. And I think like the idea of free will or we don't really have it, but we think we have it um, is just really interesting. And I just feel like with life and what we try to do with the show is sort of like, look, you're kind of on this boat and you're like, you don't, you're not really in control of it. You're finding out what's happening to you. And all of a sudden you're 90 years old. Right, you and, got one or you can kind of, kind of adjust where you're yeah. going, but not really. And you're trying your best and you're like, wait, what? And then so many times as an adult, every four years, everything I thought, that I used to think was just completely wrong. And it's just like finding out like, oh, I'm wrong. I'm dumb. I'm wrong. I'm dumb. Oh, I'm dead. Like you, you're, I feel like the way life is structured now, you figure out the key to life two minutes before you, you pass out and die. If that, if I, that. I, I promise you I'll never Yeah. And it, so I just think like, that's so funny. And like, because I'm in so much pain and want to die. Um, I feel like all I can do is just make jokes about it. That's the only thing I've ever figured out to do. Yeah. So hopefully that's what people get from the show. Well, tell me a little bit more about, um, you know, the writing process of you guys we'll, we'll try to we'll try to wrap this in about 10 minutes i'll say so you know tell me about the writing process that goes into it you know how do you come up on the concepts that you want to touch on in the show you know how do you and matt interact uh, and pat is pat also a writer on the show Oh yeah he's an incredible writer um well the first thing that's very important to me in terms of comedy and creating narrative stuff is don't do things that have been done before like that is i feel like again a lot of good comedy is just a reaction to comedy you think is bad and so that's just sort of what i feel immediately what we're trying to do in how it looks which i think it looks great it looks more like a drama um like a david fincher kind of thing yeah, the, the light it's all very somber yeah because that's how it feels um I think the first thing is what do how do people talk about this? Okay, let's definitely not do that. Um, I think we're basically trying. The, one of the other big things when we're coming up with an episode is trying to think of a grand joke. Like, what is an existential joke we can kind of make fun of here? What I find the best way to make an episode of TV that I figured out so far, and I'm not very experienced, is to combine a very high concept like war with an extremely small thing like a PowerPoint. So the best, the best, the best jokes, the best big jokes, or like in um in The Sopranos when a when a war breaks out, really because there someone lets out that one of the guys does like eats pussy, like and then it's like that's that kills people. You know what I mean? Those are the best kind of jokes because they make they show absurdism is best showed that way with a very small thing that leads to a big thing. So I always want a huge concept like war or just like drugs or things like that to be the big thing, but really to show the everyday bullshit of what your life and really kind of what that, um, what that really means blown out. So there's a lot of talk about how do, what, what is the big thing we really want to talk about? Every episode has to have a different theme and just has, has to have like a philosophical theme at things, something we're trying to say. And then you think about that. And then basically it's literally just building blocks and fucking building a narrative. Every like inch of the episode is talked about before you even put uh finger to computer key. <laughs> um, and I think like how it talks about is we just talk about jobs we've had, little things we've had, little things that have annoyed us at work, like just little dumb shit, like trying to figure out a place to nap. Or like um, when I had back surgery, uh, coworkers would ask me for my pain pills. Like, And that's in, in one of the episodes, the first four episodes that are online now. But um, little things like that, like little ridiculous shit at work. And then you start thinking about like, okay, that's a story. And then what does that mean? 
Because I think so many comedies are like, are they going to kiss? Where it's like, no, 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 no. What is happening here? This little thing, what is that indicative of in a big thing? And that's why I think libertarians will, libertarians will like it so much because it's really just trying to talk about the systems we have in place and how it affects your everyday life. Um, and in terms of writing, it's just so doing mushrooms a lot. <laughs> and um, I, By the way, just I not done a lot of mushrooms and I just was visiting my sister in New York and uh, did a bunch of mushrooms. Really enjoyed it. It's honestly, it's not really. It's not like you even. You're not even tripping. Like no, it has a very mushrooms have a very misleading reputation. Absolutely, acid makes you trip. Mushrooms make you appreciate life. Yeah, and just kind of like everything looks a little nicer. You're happier. It's vibrant, and you're like, oh, being alive is a gift. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. basically what it is. And and honestly, when I'm in that pause, I mean, some a lot of my comedy comes out of my horrific depression, but a lot of comedy comes out of just being able to see how vibrant life is. So we've done a lot of mushrooms, and we come, we we just spitball anything, and a lot of great ideas come about that. And we also think about people we hate and things we hate in society and how we like, I think one of the best ways to create comedy is think about something you hate and then try to think from that thing's point of view. And then you can, and then you can kind of create beautiful comedy. I, uh, you know, I'll, God, I don't know why I tell these jokes on, on this podcast, but I had one joke where it's essentially, and you might've heard this joke before, actually, I haven't told it in a long, in a few years, but it's essentially was a joke about child molesting and how terrible it is. But, you know, there was a, uh, a woman on Dancing with the Stars who got molested, Cheryl, Cheryl Burke. Mm-hmm. She's super hot. And I was like, you know, it's terrible that she was molested. But, you know, if you're the guy that molested her and you've been keeping track over these years, aren't you kind of like, all right. right. Yeah, you it's know, like, right. well, that's like picking a wide receiver in the NFL draft. This really panned out. Yeah, I told a joke a while ago that I then turned out was kind of, I guess what I was saying was kind of hacky, which is like, I was bullied and it really helped me. It made me super funny and very motivated. And like, thank you. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, or like, you have to push nerds into lockers because that's where the books are. And then they like create apple you know and so I, I yeah there is a certain like free market to the nightmare of life but um yeah i like for instance in one episode um which you is episode four like i hate banksy like i kind of just like that's a that's a, an example of someone i don't like where it's like shut the fuck up but there's an episode we kind of have like a banksy-esque character in there who comes to work for the corporation hampton deville and um you know it's kind of like he's just um, using capitalism to his gain, you know, and his thing is like, he's like, like, he's a progressive, but our postulation is that he's just a CEO. And you know what I mean? Like, that's all he is. And to me, I, so I hate that shit. And I think it's obviously a thing, but like, it's funny. And he's just doing what he has to do to survive. He figured out a way to figure out the market and honestly hats off to him. Cause like, I don't like what he's doing and I hate that people fall for it, but also I'm very impressed with his business acumen. So I think that's kind of the way to, come up with stuff as like what do you hate why do you hate it and then figuring out the bigger thing that you hate and then just fucking writing as many jokes as possible yeah yeah well you know what i will uh i will agree with you and uh, so basically what we'll take away from this is yeah jake uh, jake weissman's advice on writing is don't write what you know write what you know you hate yeah i think so I, and then try to figure out their point of view and then just make fun of always try to make always try to be ahead of what people are going to make fun of you for saying so it's like if you're like if my belief is i know i'm like a liberal person i know how annoying that is so when my writing i want to, i want libertarians to not be able to attack me i want to have already thought what they're going to say about me and write that joke for them and that's what i think i think my i'm very liberal in my personal life but 
with comedy, I'm very libertarian because I think that's the best comedy. And I think you should let people decide by watching the thing. Have your moral argument, but let people decide. And I think that's the best comedy um, that can exist. Well, there you go, guys. I'm going to wrap on that. I think that's a nice place to tie a bow on it. So remember, please do watch Corporate. Uh, like I said, I watched it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, love my buddy Jake here. So please support his show. Tune in. You can watch the first four episodes now on cc.com. And otherwise, please do, even if you don't watch it live, DVR it at least because they track that. Plus shit. three ratings are important. Yes, plus three ratings. So DVR Corporate, which will be out on January 17th, 10 p.m. Comedy Central. I, uh, I really think you guys will like the show. Jake, so much thanks to you for coming thanks for having me buddy i hope you feel better soon thank you i'll do my best thus endeth the interview with jake weissman so guys i hope that wasn't too hard on the ears i did everything i could to try to make that listenable as you could tell the audio quality got better towards the end of the interview once i tweaked it and played with it but you know we were there for a few hours to be figuring the stuff out so i started to feel a little bad but um i am feeling much better if you couldn't tell, I was sick during the interview, and that was what Jake was in, uh, making a little bit of a, uh, a nod to, was my horribly hoarse voice. I am feeling much better now, but holy bajolies was I knocked out, uh, feeling low for like three solid weeks, but I am better now. So, again, huge thanks to Jake. Uh, guys, please watch Corporate. And while you're at it, while I'm pleading for you to do things, please do listen to Mark Claire on Mondays with our show, doing his in-depth interviews with leaders in the libertarian movement. Listen to John Odie Odermatt on Fridays, looking at the issues that happen within the criminal justice system. And please do share this show. Give us a review on iTunes. Share it far and wide, guys. We're trying to grow this thing. And if you really want to help us do that, you can also give us a little support at lionsofliberty.com forward slash support wherein we have special content for our patrons. Uh, and I'll actually be doing a little special interview uh, bonus for our Pride members with Jake talking about getting into comedy writing and, uh, and developing a sitcom. So that is good stuff, but you got to be in the Pride. All right, guys, for me, Brian McWilliams here at the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in.